Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and this is the time of year where my seasonal depression gets extra festive. I'm not sure how to take that. Is, that, I, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe we should ask my therapist. <laughs> Maybe we should ask John. <laughs> no, don't ask John. He doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jules, and we are heading into my most favorite time of the year, Christmas. I was like, seasonal depression? It's my favorite, too. Like, not the holidays. <laughs> like, a proper, just Christmas. Christmas yeah, you're just it. really glam- glossing over colonialism, which I'm here for, by I the mean, way. whatever. It's fine. It's Thanksgiving's fine. 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 But. So, as you can tell, this episode, we are kicking off the holidays with a special Wine 101 crash course. I guess this year it's, it's Wine 102. 102. Um, and this episode is going to be dedicated to finding the perfect pairing for your holiday get-togethers, activities, and quiet nights by the fire. But before we get into all of that, let's kick off with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. So Jules, what are you cheersing and jeersing this episode? I'm cheersing to starting a new job. Woohoo! Make yep. it rain! Make it rain! I mean, not Make quite, oh. but, you know, it's also the first time in 15 years that I've had a non work from home job. I mean, it's work from home, but for an institution where I have to go to the office two days a week. So it's a huge change, but I really like it. I like being around people in case y'all didn't realize that. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty big adjustment, but it's good. Change is good. All, all the more reason to drink, too. Well, there's that. <laughs> what are you jeersing? Ugh. I fucking hate this week. Because you started the new job? (laughs) No. Because of the time change. I hate the time change. I hate the fallback because I get really, okay, depressed is not the right word because I'm not depressed. I get just really sad that it gets dark so early. I really hate it. So, like, this week, this, like, transitional week, I'm just, like, every day I'm like, fuck this. I hate it. Like right now it's 5.40 and it's pitch black outside. I have no idea what time it is. I have no <sighs> idea what day it is. I've lost all like tangible ties to reality. It's just really my least favorite. So let's bring things back up. Drea, what are you cheersing to? Cool mornings. This is the time of year where, yes, we fall back, but the weather starts to shift on the West Coast. And that mor- the mornings have just that like nice little bit of moist chill in the air. I'm here for it. Hence like, why my drive into work the other day was like in complete fog. Oh, I love that it. That marine so much. layer was rolling in so much. I love it so much. But like that kind of that that there's a crispness to it as mm-hmm. well. Like right? it feels like fall. Yes, that's what I want. That's what I've been waiting for. Um what are you uh jeersing to? People need to get them Hallmark holiday movies the fuck out of my face. Like, right now. I know they started in July with that Christmas and bu- July bullshit that they do. But, like, this shit is out of control. I hate them all. So, first, I hate rom-coms. I want everyone to know it. I hate Jules them. loves a rom-com. I hate them. I hate them. Drea is not nice. I, I'm not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> it's the seasonal depression. <laughs> Oh, that's what we're blaming. Okay, fine. But they just make me nuts, and everyone loves them, and it's, oh, I hate it so much. Meanwhile, I'm just, like, waiting for Netflix to be like, what are the stupid holiday movies that Netflix is putting out this year with Lindsay Lohan? Oh, my God. I'm into it. 
Brook Shields and a castle? Yes, I'll take it. Podcast is canceled. <laughs> Notice the theme, um, dear listener, that almost every episode lately, Drea has threatened to fire me as her host. So you know what? Maybe I'll just quit. Tis the season. Maybe I will just quit. Cheers and fucking jeers, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Since we're going back to basics for this episode, we are testing our own raw knowledge of pairings with a wine and food matching quiz from Wine Spectator Magazine. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz. <laughs> there will be a quiz. Um, aye, aye, aye. So, But we're both going to take it. Neither one of us has looked at this. Uh, Probably I, like, I, we really haven't. We really I usually haven't. look at shit ahead of time and then I get in trouble, so I did not. And I have been going insane, so I haven't done that either. And, but, I mean, this is going to be a great litmus test for us to find out if um, our listeners should actually be listening to us. So let's let's open this quiz up. Okay. And check it out. Oh, man, this is going to be hilarious. Okay. So there are 12 questions, and we're going to read them out loud and see how we do. Okay. So question one. When matching wine with food, you should try to do which of the following? A, balance the heaviness or lightness of the wine with that of the food. B, look for flavor links between the wine and the food. C, match the price of the wine with the cost of the ingredients. D, both A and B. On three, we give our answer. Okay. One, two, three, D. D. All right, all right. Oh, yes. yeah, we got it. We got right. it right. Okay, so. When matching wine with food, you should try to. Complimentary or. Uh, it was. Opposites attract. Ugh. <laughs> Fail already. Well, you know what? We, we're... Okay, wait. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to hit submit when we give our answer. And oh. then I'll read what the what the choices were. So A and B for this one was balance the heaviness or lightness of the wine without the food, and look for flavor links between the wine and the food. Got it. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Glad we worked this out. Okay. Okay. Question two: A wine structure and texture are also important in successful matches. These factors include which of the following: A, whether it is high or low in acidity; B, whether it is dry or sweet. C, whether it is tannic or soft. D, all of the above. One, two, three. D. D. We are correct. Okay. So it's whether it's high or low in acidity, whether it's dry or sweet, and whether it is very tannic or soft. Right. So really looking at the overall composition of the wine. Okay. Okay. Question three. When pairing a wine to the most prominent element of a dish, you should consider A, only the main ingredient, such as pork or shrimp. B, the sauce, seasoning, or cooking method, as well as the main ingredient. C, you can't match just to the main element. You must consider every ingredient. D, none of these. One, two, three. B. B. Yeah! We're <sighs> killing it. <laughs> so, 
When pairing wine to the most prominent element of a dish, you should consider the sauce, seasonings, or cooking method, as well as the main ingredient. This may be premature, but I'm feeling pretty good about this. Okay. We're only at question number four. You know, so. let, me, let me have this win. Let me have this short win. Okay. Oh, I feel like they're about to get much harder. Yep. All right. So question four. Which of the following is a classic French wine food pairing? Sauterne and foie gras. I'm just like looking at these, like, oh shit. She's like, okay, so I'll take this one. No, re- uh, red, red Bordeaux, Bordeaux and, and lamb roast. B, C, champagne and caviar. D, all of the above. One, two, three. D. D. We are correct. Okay, so Saturn and foie gras. So the first one was the one I was like, oh, I don't know a lot about that varietal. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I do like foie, but I usually have it with red wine. Because I'm garbage. <laughs> garbage. <laughs> All right. Five. Classy garbage. All right. Question five. Dry white wines are usually very poor matches with which type of food? A, sweets. B, Drea's favorite, salads. <laughs> C, young cheeses. D, simple roasted fish or poultry. One, two, three. A. a. Okay. Oh, we're right. We're right. Yeah. Okay. I was kind of like, Ooh, uh, so I, I thought it was either going to be A or, so either the sweet D. or the young cheeses. Oh, okay. I was thinking young cheeses would be good for that. So, well, young cheeses tend to be kind of creamier. Right? Yeah. A dry one? I always think more of like a off dry. Well, we were right, so whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't, <laughs> we got it right. Doesn't matter what the fuck we think. <laughs> All, All right. right. Question six. Uh, which wines tend to be versatile with food because they are high acid, low alcohol, and palate refreshing? A, port and other fortified wines. B, champagne and other sparkling wines. C, saturns and other sweet wines. D, dry Cabernet-based reds. One, two, three. B. B. We're right! Champagne and sparkling wine. Always a crowd pleaser. You Who know, like some bubbles? I do feel like you have to look at the context of the question, too. Palette refreshing. Which one of those four seems like it would be palette refreshing? It would definitely be a sparkling wine. That's true. So, just like process of elimination, too. Just be a little strategic in your thinking, people. Oh, look at these test-taking tips. <laughs> All right, question I've seven. been coaching people for 10 years in this shit. Question seven. Certain ingredients serve as bridges with specific wines. What would make a vinegar dressed salad pair well with a tart white wine? A, toasted croutons. B, pickled beets. C, fresh cheese. D, cucumbers. Do you have your answer? Maybe. <laughs> One, two, three. A. Okay. All right. We both picked the... We're both thinking of the same fucking croissant crouton from Trader Joe's. I know it. Oh, we were wrong. <gasps> no. Oh, fail. It's not fresh cheese, is it? It is fresh It cheese. is. I was between the two because I was thinking, you know how they give you like pretzels 
at a winery or like bread. Uh-huh. So I was kind of thinking like maybe that, you know, I was thinking like just bread is like a pretty See, um, when I think of fresh bland. cheese, though, I think of like a fresh goat cheese or broth. Like I don't want necessarily like a a crit, tart we're wrong. white wine. Yeah, we're wrong. Just wrong. get over we're it. We're wrong. Sorry, we're wrong. Okay, so we're, you know, we're still at, we're still at what, 90%? We're at seven out of eight. We've only gotten mm-hmm. one wrong so far. No, we're at, we're at six out of 12. Because we got one wrong. And that was question seven. Oh. Well, I just went with, like, how we've already done seven. So okay, like, well. Well, we're at the eight. We're points. bad we've at gotten, math. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anywho, right. ha. Question eight. eight. Herbs will enhance a food pairing with which of the following wines known for offering herbal flavors? A. Cobb Franc. B. Riesling. C. Chardonnay. D. Gamay. I'm between two. So am I. Okay. One, two, three. A. A. Okay. All right. I think it's D. Okay, good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Cabernet Franc. Cap Franc. Excellent. Yes. Okay. All right. Nine. Nine. To tame an oaky, toasty wine. <laughs> which we love. <laughs> which cooking method should you try? A. Boiling, steaming, or sous vide to keep the foods moist. Oh, oh that's D. Roasting, I mean, B, roasting, grilling, or browning in a hot pan to echo the wine's flavors. <laughs> C, microwaving so you don't add other flavors to the food. <laughs> well, we know that's not right. D, don't cook the food. Serve it raw for contrast with the wine. Who wrote this? Okay. This is ridiculous. One, two, three, B. B. We're right. Okay. Well, I mean, that was kind of a give. give, give well, me. the first one. You know, we should give this quiz to John Hot and, and Silver Fox. We yep. should do that. <laughs> okay. All right. Question 10. Which of the following foods is considered tricky to match wine with? Wine with. Wow. Okay. A. Raw garlic. B. Artichokes. C. Asparagus. D, all of the above. One, two, three. D. D. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would have a hard time with that. Yeah. With all of these, I'm like, mm. So, the asparagus and the artichokes, the one, they don't have, like, a ton of flavor, so it'd be hard to, like, figure out what... I tend to go with a white, a crisp white that's that's got, like, a little bit of senility, like a, a salinity, excuse me, like a sea salt finish to Sen- it. Like, senility? Senility. That like, apparently, you know, which was suffering that's where she's from. going. Yep. <laughs> it's part of the seasonal depression. <laughs> All right. Eleven. Two more. Which of the following ingredients emphasize the heat in high alcohol wines? Oof. Oh, man. All right. A, cheese. B, butter. C, salt. D, bread. This one's tough. You okay? You, you ready? ready? Yep. One, two, three. B. C. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let's find out. Oh wait, I have to. Okay, I'll just put. I'll put in B. I was right. 
It's sea. It's sea. It's, it's salt. salt. <laughs> Why is that? What, are you, what was your thinking behind that? So salt, I mean, you think about like salt is a more savory flavor, right? So it's going to pick up on the heat. Whereas I think of flavors and cream flavors like butter, um, think bread, those tend to be more neutral and slightly softer on the palate. They don't have that same bite to them. So they're going to tame the heat mm-hmm. rather than, than um, amplify it. Got it. That makes sense. Okay, the last one. Which with which dish would an older red wine pair better than a young red because of its softer tannins, toned down fruit, and savory notes? Jesus Christ. Alright. A a vinegar dressed salad with tart fruit. B country style deep fried chicken. C a rare peppery charred grill steak. D, slow-cooked braised lamb or short ribs? These all sound really good. (laughs) I'm hungry. Do you have your answer? I do. Okay, one, two, three, C. Oh, all right. Let's see. It is, in fact, D. Slow, because, again, you think about, like, you think about the pepper on a grilled steak and like the smokiness that grills that the grilling gives the meat you want something to bounce if you want something to balance that out it's something juicy like a, a gamay or a grenache like something that's got a bougie something that's got like that bold flavor and is going to tend to be a younger red whereas like if i'm doing slow cooked anything like i make a short rib dish that i braise for 24 hours that I want like an aged cab, you know, a really nice aged zen that's mellowed out with some some time. Maybe uh, a GSM or a 100% Syrah. Like I'm going for a bolder grape, but that's had some time to chill the fuck out on the rack for a little yeah. bit. And there you go, everyone. And that okay, is why so- Drea has the PhD, and I only have my bachelor's. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say, that's why Drea drinks a lot. <laughs> All right, so what was on. our score? Oh, oh, let me do. Okay, well, I got eighty three percent over here. I think that I and I think that I put in the right amount. Of, so I put in your answers. So we got a sixty percent. You got seventy five because I got two wrong. You did get three two. wrong. You got one wrong. So you got seventy five. Yeah. And I got a 92. Oh, fucking course she did. <laughs> and I am totally fine with that. Because I am also here to learn, everyone. Well, cheers to us. Cheers to us. And our knowledge. One of our knowledges. <laughs> <laughs> For this episode, we're doing something just a little different, as Drea already mentioned. Last year, we featured our Wine 101, the Wine Basics Crash Course, last November. And this year, we are bringing it back with a Wine 102 Perfect Pairings episode. Today, we're going to be covering pairing basics, flavor profiles, and some quick tips for purchasing and serving your wine. By the end of this episode, you should be able to select, pair, and serve wine with confidence. Or at least not feel like a total asshole. I mean, you know, that's a wide that's a wide berth we're giving people, so So 
Let's get to it. Drea, kick us off with our pairing basics. Okay, so a couple things. First, there are three basic rules when it comes to different types of wine, right? So let's talk about flavor profiles in general first, because this is going to set you up for success when it comes to pairing. Red wines typically have more bitterness. White, rosé, and sparkling wines have more acidity. Time out. You know what we should have done was taken the quiz after we talked about all this stuff and see if we had learned anything. Well, but we're drinking, so... Also, you got a 90-some percent, so it was fine. Whatever. <laughs> may, I, may I continue? <laughs> Sweet wines have more, well, sweetness. Shocking. Oh, look, everyone. I know. PhD talking. <laughs> but in all seriousness, these are the foundational basics of building a perfect pairing. Now, when it comes to pairing, there are two major methodologies, congruent and complementary pairing. So a congruent pairing creates a balance by amplifying a shared flavor profile between the food and the wine. So an example would be a rich and buttery white wine like a California Napa Valley Chardonnay that has spent some time in oak, right? That Your is favorite? My absolute favorite. That is matched with a rich cream-based pasta sauce. A complementary pairing, however, creates balance by contrasting taste and flavors. So an example, let's kind of stick with our um, cream-based sauce, would be a white wine with high acidity to complement a rich cream-based sauce and kind of cut some of that fat and that richness from the cream with more acid. So give us an example of what that white wine would be. Uh, like you could do a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you could do uh, a Grenache Blanc. Chirol, uh Grenache Blanc, I think. Depending on the on the Grenache Blanc, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Albarino? Yeah, Albarino would be great. Good. Pay. I know that's one of your favorites. So yeah, absolutely. I do love an Albarino. That's because they're delicious. So those they're are the delicious. two methods to use when approaching pairing. But, of course, it's never quite that simple, right? But with these foundations in mind, let's take a look at nine key basics that have been outlined by our friends over at Wine Folly. Um, and they don't sponsor us, but they don't want to sponsor us, let's be honest. But they, should. Um, they have a wealth of information about pairings and flavor profiles. And these are kind of their top nine recommendations. So, um, one, the wine should be more acidic than the food. Which means that, you know, if for them, this is more on the complementary flavor notes, right? Where you're really trying to draw out some of that acid that's going to read as brightness and freshness in the wine um, against maybe a denser meal. Two, the wine should be sweeter than the food. Which I'm not sure how on board I am with this actually, but I do see it with like our, so during our quiz that we took, that like peppery grilled steak mm -hmm. and then having like a juicier, more fruit forward, young red yeah. wine. Or even like tonight we're kind of sipping on a chilled red from our friends at Field Recordings up in Tin City, Paso Robles. Like that would be a great wine to serve with a but grilled I'm steak. But I'm thinking like if you're having dessert that's very sweet, I don't want something that's even sweeter than that. You don't want that. a port or a I don't want or like a, a or, you know, like a 
really sweet Riesling. Or a fortified wine, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, take all these as a grain of salt because remember, wine is about preference. It's about reference. It's about your taste. And so, I mean, fuck our drag. Like, drink whatever you want, right? But these are just some ways to maybe, if you walk, if you have been put in charge of wine for holiday dinner or holiday Which, I don't gathering. Know why anybody's doing that, but okay. <laughs> like you don't feel like we should put John and Rob in charge. No, we no, should not. We should, we never, should not. Absolutely never. not. Um God, it was dumb the moment it left my mouth. But if Literally, you have been put in charge, dear listener <laughs> you you know, here are some things to think about. Okay. But also just like buy what you like. All right. Uh Three, the wine should have the same flavor intensity as the food. That doesn't mean that they should be the same, but they should be along the same intensity level. So lighter, more delicate dishes with lighter, more delicate wines, heavier, richer dishes with heavier, richer wines. Um, If you've ever done like a progressive coursed out dinner at a restaurant or the friend's home or you've served one yourself and you do it with wine pairings, Oftentimes, they'll go lighter to darker in color, right? Um, And that's because of that flavor profile progression. Okay, four, red wines pair best with bold flavored meats, like red meats, so steak, roast, all that sort of stuff, while white wines pair best with light intensity meats, such as fish or chicken. Now, there are always going to be exceptions to this rule. To all the rules. To all the rules. Like, I love a Pinot Noir with a roasted salmon. Right, that's a red wine, yeah. that's a fish, but that fish is pink, it's fatty, um, it's got a little... It holds bit, up. Yeah, uh, yeah, same with, like, if I was going to do a swordfish, I would want something that had a little bit more body Don't structure. She got an allergy. You have allergies to the weirdest shit. It's, like, the only food I have an allergy to. So, swordfish and petite Syrah. The perfect holiday pairy. No, just kidding. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds so gross. It sounds so gross. As I just cackle over here. <laughs> no. Um, so there are always going to be exceptions to that rule. But, you know, for, for the most part, if that's kind of the basics that most restaurants, servers, psalms are going to go with. Bitter wines, um, so again, red wines, right, that have a stronger um, bitter note to them are best balanced with fat. That's why a lot of times, even though, for example, duck is a poultry, you see it paired in pairing menus with a red wine, Mm -hmm. Um, usually like a a gamay or grenache, something of that nature. I've seen with GSMs, and it really picks up on that fattiness. Um... Next, it's better to match the wine with the sauce than with the meat. Now, I know this is slightly contradictory to the quiz we just took from Wine Spectator, but again, think you want to think about whole dish composition, right? And so, yeah. um, if you are, let's say you're serving a salmon, but with a like with a white, give me a white sauce, like a uh, was it blanc? No, bur- I mean, bur- blanc. blanc would be like a butter sauce. Um, anglaise, like, um, yeah. So, yeah, ma- maybe let's do, yeah, so if you're pairing it with like a, a whiter, creamier sauce, 
Red might not be the choice, right? Then you may want to lead towards a more structured white wine. like Especially because probably that sauce has wine in it. Yeah, that's the it'll other thing, have, too. It'll have white wine in it. Okay, uh, next, more often than not, white, sparkling, and rosé wines create contrasting pairings, while red wines create congruent pairings. So that's another thing to sort of think about. But as we're going to discover, rosé and sparkling are kind of like the great opportunists um, that play nice with nearly everything. So now that we've got kind of our rules in place, Let's talk about actual pairing. Okay, so how does this actually work in practice? In other words, we got you. We got you covered. Instead of our traditional tasting and pairing discussion, we're selecting a couple of common holiday favorites and offering, offering up some strategies to discover your own perfect pairing. So, first course. There are lots of first courses when it comes to holiday dinners. I picked something that was easy peasy breezy. That's general. Yeah. Cheese and charcuterie boards. Also, this is going to take you beyond the holiday season, right? Who doesn't love a fucking charcuterie board? Um, so we're going to structure this in a couple different ways. We're going to talk about what you should consider when pairing. And then we're each going to offer you what our pick would be for this particular portion of your meal. So for a cheese and charcuterie board, a um, couple things to think about. One, you want to pair wines and cheeses that have similar levels of intensity. High ABV wines, that's alcohol by volume, will pair better with dense and aged cheeses. So if you're like Jules and you favored an aged Montego, a Parmesan, like a hard Anything cheese. Anything like a harder Yeah, cheese, like yeah. a harder cheese that's been aged five years or longer. Um you want to think about having a higher ABV wine, which would lead you into the reds area. Lower ABV wines pair tend to pair better with soft and delicate cheeses. Think, you know, your breeze, um, some of your your a goat your, cheese, a goat cheese, like a maybe chevre. yeah, yeah, something that's going to be a little bit more light and airy. Okay, so um, that's to kind of get a little further into the weeds, um, let's talk about like charcuterie as well. I really love bold reds with like gamey meats. So if you can find boar, duck, um, bison, she get real fancy lamb sausage, board. right? I mean, I'm going to like Trader Joe's and getting their like charcuterie package. And putting well, that out. See, if you got the spicy one, though, that yeah. they do, that would lend well to a bold red, too. It's like would be slightly different than, like, their traditional right. Italian one. Um, funky, stinky cheeses. Gross. For those of you who love that, like I do. Gross. Um, and uh, oftentimes, these pair really well with a sweeter wine. Also I, gross. I encourage you instead of putting it on your charcuterie board so you don't potentially offend some of your guests. So maybe think about pairing cheeses like that and sweeter wines for a dessert course, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite things. Like if I go into a restaurant and they have a funky cheese and wine dessert course, I am all over that business. Meanwhile, I go to dinner at Dre's house and that's her dessert. I'm like, peace out. She out. She out. She leaving. I'm leaving after the main course. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, sparkling wines tend to pair really well with creamier cheeses and sweeter accoutrements. Accoutrements. So if you're if you are doing fruit on your charcuterie boards, which you should be, if you are doing dark chocolate little nibbles, um, if you are like me and waste hours upon hours watching TikTok videos on Instagram because you are an elder millennial and that's how you get your information of cute little like Christmas tree bullshit things, charcuterie boards. Yeah, go bonkers, go ballistic. Um, the other, the last rule is that wine and cheeses from the same places tend to play really nicely together. So you could also theme this by region. You could do all California cheeses and wines. You could do all Spanish cheeses and wines, which is one of my personal favorites, as we all know. You could do all French cheeses and wines. Um, and then kind of theme it that way as well. So now that we know the basics, let's talk about our picks. So Jules, what are you pouring for a charcuterie cheese situation? So I'm, I feel like I'm gonna go against the rules because I'm also looking at like what I would potentially put on a board and it's not creamy cheeses is not necessarily the sweeter thing. No, you're just making your own rules, girl. Okay. I'm either going to do a Lambrusco or a Bubbles. Okay. But like a dry Bubbles. I feel like you just have to kick things off with something that is really festive and like to me there's nothing more festive than something that has bubbles in it. So, and also, I mean, you bring up a really good point, right? That it's not necessarily just about what's on the table. It's about what the occasion is and what the intent is yeah. and who the, who the guests are. How so, do you want to set the tone? Right. For me, I want to, let's go. Disco ball. <laughs> let's do this. It's a party. <laughs> that is true. That is what she wants all the time. What about you? <laughs> um, so, actually, we're not that far off. Like, I think that... A sparkling wine is festive. I think it's always appropriate. I think it's a great way to welcome your guest and just kick off an evening and sort of set the tone. Um, but I'm going to choose a sparkling rosé. Oh, so basically if you put my two together, it's a sparkling rosé. They have a baby! <laughs> they have a lambrusco and a oh, baby. It's a little it's Christmas a baby. Rose. Oh my God, it's baby Jesus for it's Christmas. Baby. It's the baby Jesus. <laughs> We're going straight to hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, and the reason I like a spark, and I would pick one that's on the more herbaceous side. So, like, I, of course, I have a particular bottle in mind. Um, I love Bermejos. Uh, oh, so she went all specific. Sparkling. We're just trying to pick the type. <laughs> sparkling. Sparkling. Listan Negro out of Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. Like, it is super herbaceous. It's very volcanic. It has high minerality. So it's going to pick up on the savory notes in that charcuterie and cheese board. But it's going to be soft enough that you can still have it with delicate cheese, cheeses. Because I love all that shit. Like, I want to eat all the cheeses all the time. The baby cheeses. All the baby cheeses. All the baby cheeses. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> the modern family. Yes. <laughs> the baby cheeses. <laughs> if you don't know about that, just Google watch it modern immediately. Family. It's amazing. Okay. We are going to move on from our appetizer or first course to our main course, which we have selected as turkey or ham. So... 
apologies to the vegetarians out there, but we're sticking with sort of like mainstream something meaty. Listen, and we're and tur- we the like turkey's gonna go with main... tofurkey. Well, that's true. Um, but basically, even if you're vegan vegetarian, your main course is gonna have a little more like like stick to your ribs element. To well, it. and the, you know, I think with the turkey and the ham, they illustrate two kind of major pl- flavor profiles, right? Turkey or poultry in general tends bland. to a little bit more on the delicate side. It's bland. They and I do love I love turkey and chicken, but like you got to do some work to it. Well, like they rely they rely like more on aromatics, delicious. right? Whereas sure. like a ham, now you're getting into flavors like smokiness, sweetness with like glazes and things like that. Like so, um, earthiness, like the cloves. Right. And, yeah. yeah. So really different flavor um, and spicing profiles too, which. You know, if, if you are vegetarian or vegan and you're doing a tofurkey or you're doing, um, I know a lot of people who do like uh, braised like tofu, like braised smoked tofu. Don't make that face for Gross. the holidays and Gross. things like that. But listen, I just saw a report on, I don't know, one of those, one of those elder millennial shows, shows that I now watch like nightly news with David Muir or some shit that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm older than you, and I don't fucking watch that stuff. It was stuff. just on, okay? Jiminy Christmas. Like, the price of turkey and ham this year are are up, of course, because... Everything is more... Like, because they're the most popular dishes, right? So, yeah, of course. Um, hopefully, I mean, listen, what we're saying is you're going to have to drink a lot this holiday season to offset all that, so we're here to help. All right, sure. so let's start with turkey. Wait, let's take a break and refill our glasses. Fair. We'll be right back. Break is over. We are back oh, to no, the turkey and the ham. Tell them what you did. Well, okay. So <laughs> I thought we, we were drinking a chilled red wine, and I thought it was in the refrigerator because that's where it should be if it's a chilled red wine. But it was literally sitting on the table in front of me. There so wasn't that much left of it. I which thought is why that I we it. needed to like get up and go to the kitchen and get it out, but we didn't. So we are back. Everything is fine. Everyone is fine. We have wine in our glasses. We are able to continue. Crisis averted. <laughs> in two minutes, I will take another pause and have to get more wine somewhere. So turkey. So ham. <laughs> so let's... Turkey for me. Turkey for you. Let's eat turkey out my big brown shoe. Have you never heard the Adam Sandler Thanksgiving song? I hate Thanksgiving. <gasps> But the Adam Sandler Thanksgiving song is amazing. I've heard the the Yamaka Hanukkah one. Have you heard the Lunch Lady song? No. <gasps> okay, well, everybody, this is, you know what we're doing after this episode is done recording. I'm going to be schooling Drea on Adam Sandler's holiday songs. <laughs> Back to regularly scheduled programming. What to consider when you're eating turkey? Okay, so... <laughs> couple couple things about pairing with turkey. We've broken this up to think about couple. So one style wine, right? Uh, white, rosé, or red. But the other important thing, which we learned from our quiz, is cooking style. So let's kind of dive into it. Okay, white wines. Again, you want to match the intensity of the dish with the intensity of the wine. So depending on how you're preparing your turkey and what you're serving it with, you want it to match that level of intensity. Rosés. 
like I said earlier, always a crowd pleaser, very versatile in terms of style of wine because it's they're typically, unless you're getting a really light Provence style rosé, they tend to have a more medium body and can sometimes be an even better option than a white or a red because they're a crowd pleaser. They're usually well balanced. They lean towards dry. Um, and you can't, you're able to serve them chilled, right? Which is sort of a nice compliment to the heavy food that's at the table. For those of you who are diehard red wine drinkers and listen, Jules. I get it. This is our time of the year to shine. You want to select <laughs> a light aromatic red wine um, to a medium bodied red wine that has lighter tannins. The richer the prepara preparation of the meat, the more color, richness, and tannin you can have in your wine. But for something like turkey, again, depending on preparation, you really want to make sure that you're balancing that out and not going too heavy so that you overwhelm the meal itself. So speaking of the meal itself, let's talk about how you're preparing this oversized chicken. So three kind of key styles, preparation styles, that we're going to cover today. The first is the most traditional, of course, Roasting. Roasting is a favorite fowl preparation method, whether it be a turkey, a duck, a chicken, whatever. Um, and a roast will often yield a meat that is very tender, but that also preserves all of the intensity in the flavor. Um, it also has opportunities for you to use things like dry rub, um, glazes, herb packs, all of that stuff that's going to make that meat more aromatic um this method tends to call for richer white wines such as a chardonnay or a rosé or a light-bodied red like a pinot noir or grenache next something that's grown in popularity in recent years especially as more as more people are kind of scaling down and so for example for years i've done when i've been forced to provide for my family re rose and andy um we do a turkey breast and so barbecuing becomes a popular method because you can slap that sucker on a grill you can do different flavor profiles with it but this really bumps up the smoky flavors right which makes it possible then to pair with a richer red wine like a zin a cob franc or even barbecue's very best friend, Malbec. Um, you wanna look for a more savory uh, sauce and avoid sweet ones because those are gonna pair better with your wines. And then finally, and because this is America, we have to talk about those stupid fucking fried turkeys that people do every year. Yeehaw! I hate it, I hate it so much. <laughs> Here's what I have to say about fr frying a whole fucking turkey. Just get some bubbles. Just, Just follow the fried chicken you know and what? bubbles methods. Get yourself a Bud Light. Get get some bubble. No, that goes in the turkey's butt before oh, you fry that's it. True. Get some bubbles and hope. But I don't you think you can fry a can. I, you know what? I wouldn't fucking know. know. I don't know. I, know. That's not my life. I don't know. But get yourself some fucking bubbles and hope you don't blow yourself up. And that's all I have to say. Peace out. You're welcome. All right. So, Jules, you're making a turkey. And I you do like to make a turkey. I do like so to make a turkey. So, how do you like to make your turkey? Let's start there. So, I let it air dry for like three days in the refrigerator. Sounds intense. Okay. So, the skin gets like dry. 
So like you take it out of the packaging, I put it in like a fucking pan, and I let it just sit. I don't so it's cover like a, it. A papery, crepey, yes. two thousand year old Hollywood starlet. Correct. Love that. Love that for that turkey. Then there's a whole butter olive oil seasoning situation that gets smothered all over that skin. Sounds like a satanic ri- ritual. I'm on board. It's I like it. It's kind of gross <laughs> with your hands. It's like not the best. Um, and then it gets roasted. And I am not a fan of the stuffing up the butt. No. That then you eat. But I will fill the cavity with fresh lemons. Yep. Celery, parsley, thyme, like all Garlic, kinds of like herbs. yeah. Garlic, uh, like a half of an onion. Yep. Like That's I just, a- uh, carrot, like just a bunch of like whatever I'll put in there so that that those all those aromatics and yep. all those juices then are in the pan so then i make the gravy after so it's not even so much for the turkey itself but it's like for the gravy after um and then you roast it and then there's a couple different roasting techniques but nice that's that's my jam all so right. i'm serving a grenache with my turkey that's yeah i mean i can see that for sure mm-hmm. yeah what about you so when I when I do do turkey, well, we you barbecue. You said you barbecue. I can't. Rice. I do barbecue, but my other favorite method. I actually made this this afternoon because I'm making soup later um, tomorrow. Is you get a turkey breast or half turkey breast? Like, listen, there's only four of us, and <laughs> I True. I lift up the skin. I'm so I make an herb and garlic paste with butter and olive oil. I. Lift up the skin. I rub that yeah, all in there. Yeah, that's basically what I do there. on my skin, yeah. not under it. Oh, yeah. and then I just... So the skin gets, like, real crispy. So then I do butter on top of the skin yeah. and then roast it. And, you know, it, it's it's delicious, it's moist, and it's super herbaceous, though. So my pick is a Roussan. Um, as we all know, I am not a huge Chardonnay fan. There are some good ones. There are some good unoaked ones um, that I like, but... Roussan to me is a red drinker's white. Like it's rich, it's velvety in texture, it's structured. If I can find a skin contact Roussan, like I am just a puddle on the floor of happiness, but um, that's going to be my pick. All right. So that's what we have for our turkey dish. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. So one final note on turkey for those of you who are like invested in the spirit of the season and history. I just want everyone to know that in On Plymouth Plantation by William Bradford, the actual account of the Plymouth colony and the quote unquote first Thanksgiving, the only mention of a fucking turkey is because one of the colony members gets expelled for numerous counts of bestiality that include one turkey. Happy colonialism, everyone! Way to bring the energy up on the podcast, Rhea. And with that, Jules is just going to leave. You'll only be hearing from Drea from here on out. (laughs) Jules needs more wine. Fuck yes. (laughs) Now we're going to move along to the ham. This is actually a personal favorite of mine. I love ham at Thanksgiving. I love ham at Christmas. I like to make ham sandwiches. I like to make a ham hash. Like, I like to make a turkey once a year because it's like a thing and Rob misses his traditional Thanksgiving, so I'll fucking do it. But 
I do love Ham's it. where it's at. I grew up eating ham. I did not grow up eating. I don't think I had turkey, honestly, until I moved to the United States. It's so, not really... It may be now popular in other parts of the world, but, like, it was a American thing. For that's so time. interesting because I feel like the most American thing I ate at holidays growing up was ham. Whereas, like, it was also, like, tamales and stuff, you know, that that was... But I was... think, like, a Christmas ham is very British. Really? Yes. Oh, shit. I don't man. know. We might have to do some research on that. So, anyway, we digress. Let's talk about ham. Ham has been a big fucking deal for a really long time. As it should be. So, to our what we were just saying, actually, in the 1700s, which wouldn't have been popular here... <laughs> You know, for obvious in the United reasons. States because it didn't exist for the same reason that turkey wasn't present at the first Thanksgiving. William Bradford ham was a primary component of a sailor's diet, and um, it was on demand throughout the world. So even if you think about because you could cure it, it's a cured well, meat. But yeah. if you think about like the monarchy, like if you think about like kings and queens, they would serve a ham a like big, at the big, big banquet ass home, and stuff like, like that, with the right? bone and stuff. Pretty sure there was ham served in um, Game of Thrones. I was just like, going to say, ham was definitely served at the Red Wedding. The Vikings with the fucking like ham bone and all that stuff. Isn't that a turkey leg? I don't think so. Really? I think it was ham. I don't know shit about the Vikings. So anyway, so the general profile of a ham is sweet, salty, textured, and rich. But you can also find quite a bit of variation in ham depending on what you get. So because of this, there is a, ri- a wide range of wines that will work really well with ham. So the three major methods of making ham include salting, which is dry curing, wet curing, and smoking. Um, you can get savory and smoky hams that have less sweetness and more texture and you'll probably want to pair that with something that's medium bodied, fruity red with moderate acidity. Acidity. Wow. Acidity. We really went there this episode. If you were <laughs> to eat a glazed ham or the infamous honey baked ham, which is also fucking delicious. Note, well, and like most note of- I will buy like a honey glazed ham and put like the cloves in. I'll like doctor it to give it a little bit of that. Or you can make it so I the the ham that I made that you've had numerous occasions numerous time. Yeah, I made for last Christmas, I made for Easter. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Did you think that was fucking rose? No, that was all my ass. Oh, I know it wasn't rose. (laughs) So um I do thanks, you know, Rose who like called me out for not making my beans for our carnitas cook off. From scratch, because I made it in an Instant Pot. I was like, bitch, you didn't make the beans. Revenge. <laughs> Any hoo-ha. Tis the season. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la. Fa-la-la-la. Bitch. <laughs> See, the family drama's alive and well. Pour me some wine, Drea. Jesus. Tell okay, us so more about hand. Oh, so I use... I definitely do my own kind of honey-baked version, but I use regular honey and a... Hot, hot honey. honey. Yep. Mike's Hot Honey. Listen, there's a lot of hot honeys on the market right now, but Mike's Hot Honey was the OG hot honey, and I'm very much a, like, I like the original of something. I know it's usually more expensive, but I appreciate when someone comes up with an original idea, and I do try to support Dear that. Dear listener, I bought my shit at Trader Joe's, and it's a knockoff. She doesn't care. <laughs> I do. So, um, tell so us about honey. So, if you have a glazed ham or a honey-baked ham, the best way... 
um, to serve that is um, to pair it with a wine that also has sweetness, which to me doesn't sound great. But let, like think when we think of like sweetness, like think about buttery or jammy fruit notes, right? Like a jam, like like a jammy wine. We've talked about like jammy red wines. Yeah, they have, just have like that more fruit punch instead of that um, that structure and that depth and that. So instead of like notes of earth, leather, tobacco, dark chocolate, you're thinking red berries. Yeah. Okay. What are you gonna pair with your ham? That you use the generic hot honey on. That I use generic hot honey. Um, so I'm gonna do a gamay noir. Why? So, some because it is, it is jammy. Like it's got it's fruit. Because it's jammy and it's gammy. <laughs> it's a gammy noir. It's my jammy. It's uh, gammy noir. <laughs> um, no, it's got those really nice notes of like red and black currants. It's got plum. It's got a little bit of fig to it. Like, it's just going to be a nice complement to that sweetness. Um, and I also think about, like, the other things I serve it, like, that you serve the ham with that's going to go well yeah. with. Um, how about you? Uh, I'm going to pick a Malbec. Nice. I like that. I Honestly, like that. because I kind of had a hard time with this thinking, what would I put with ham? And then I started thinking about, like, Argentina, like, South America, and how many, like, how much like meat like cow and pig and stuff they serve and obviously Malbec is like a is a really um popular wine but also like Malbec is a really easy wine to find yep anywhere it doesn't matter where you live it has multiple price points so and it's pretty approachable too like it's yeah. a good crowd pleaser for sure so. and yeah. it's budget friendly a lot of times so that's nice mucho importante all right, so now moving on to dessert. I don't think it used to be my favorite thing. Dessert, dessert used to be my favorite thing. When I used to go to a restaurant, I used to look at the dessert menu first to see if there was something I actually wanted for dessert and then back out of that. The and be like, strategic. oh, we're going to share an appetizer so that then we can get dessert versus like we each get an appetizer and an entree because we're not getting dessert. And now I'm just not really... I just want like one little piece of something sweet. So, and I've never been a dessert person. Yeah, like, ever. I've oh my god, give me a chocolate cake. Oh yeah, I love dessert. But anyway, so let's talk about the dessert course. I mean, obviously, it's the holidays. We're doing fucking pie. It's gonna be a pie. It's gonna be a pie of some sort. Okay. So, what kind of pie are you picking, and what's your poison to go with the pie? I have a few different pies that I actually like. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like a lot of fruit pies. Strawberry rhubarb is my favorite fruit pie, but that's not appropriate for Thanksgiving. A um, pumpkin pie I actually like because I don't have that much experience with it, not growing up in this country. So, like, just the idea of, like, pumpkin pie was like, what the fuck? A vegetable. I do kind of like it because it's not overly sweet after, like, a big meal like that. Like, I kind of just kind of... In keeping with the slightly savory side of things, or a chocolate pecan pie, a chocolate bourbon pecan pie Damn. is one that I make that's freaking delicious. So I go heavy on the booze, of course. Obviously. So it's sweet, but it's got that little bite to it. So I would do a port. Nice. But like not a port that's super sweet. Like so just something that's like got a little bit of heft to it. 
and that you just have a little bit of. Like so it's would you, would you not... do an uh, like a ruby port or an aged port? Because I feel like the aged ports read a little bit more like a brandy. I my thing with the aged ports sometimes is that they can feel almost like molasses. Like, they can feel a little heavier. They feel heavy, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So and so I would do more of, like, a ruby, ruby port. port. Yeah. So something that feels lighter but has a little sweetness to it to complement the dessert, but it's not, like, drinking, like, a super sweet situation. Got it. What about you? So, um, since you all know, I have not shut the fuck up about pumpkin spice, this, that, oh, and the God, damn other since August. So, obviously, I'm doing a pumpkin pie, bitches. Do you make pumpkin pie? I've made it. Okay. Maybe I'll have to make you a pumpkin so pie. So, I've made it twice. I am not a great pie maker. Pies are one of those things that I just consistently fuck up. Like, continually. So, okay. during the pandemic, I, like, kind of met a few of my cooking nemesis and conquered them one of them was curry i could not despite the fact that my best friend is indian i could not conquer a curry, a, a curry recipe to save my damn life finally did that feel real good about it learned how to make bread that wasn't like hard as a rock feel good <laughs> about that but pies are the one thing that continue to just be the thorn Elusive. in my side the elusive pie. So, but I, I actually make really good pies. Okay, well. Last year I made a lemon cranberry meringue pie. Oh, I do was remember really that. delicious. Yeah, we had that for Christmas, right? No, because I made it for Thanksgiving. Oh, do, did you make it? What did I make for Christmas? I feel like you made a pie for Christmas, too. Maybe. But, um, yeah, So, and I love pumpkin pie. Like, I love it so much. Okay. It's so tasty. Maybe I'll, and maybe I'll try my hand at some pumpkin pies this year. I want... With this, of course, because I'm who I am, an aged kava. Of like, course. I want a five to seven year aged kava that's developed those, like, almond biscotti, brioche, uh, carquinoles profiles. profiles that I'm just, like, drooling. Like, oh, I want it right now. <laughs> also, just, I mean, a you're never going to go wrong with kava. No, you're really not. I feel like more people are going to enjoy a kava than they're going to enjoy a port. Like, not everybody wants a port at the end of the meal because it does feel a little heavier. So, I think that that's a great pairing. They can they can retire to the salon. They can fuck right off. For their port. my house. <laughs> oh, you want some water? Here you go. Here's a mason jar. Here's water. Get Bye-bye. out. Okay. Let's talk about... How to serve and how to store your wine. Okay. So the first question on everybody's mind when they're hosting or buying for an event is how much, right? One bottle per person. That depends on what kind of <laughs> boozers you're having over. If it's us. If it's us, one bottle per person. Stock the if fuck not up. more. Yeah. D- let's be honest here. Three Multiple bubbles. <laughs> a couple of rosés. Maybe a white. What's multiple up? reds. There's this great. Back to bubbles. There's this great line from. And Bob- then espresso. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously. There's this great line from um, Bob's Burgers, one of my favorite shows and it's Lynn the mother and she's like what I've only had half of four bottles of wine and it's like yeah that tracks that tracks two bottles of wine so again um depends on who you're having over but the standard bottle will yield about five glasses I disagree with that this is like an epic battle she's gonna die it's five it's five it's five and I think like and if I'm pouring it's six 
Ugh. You're welcome. If I'm pouring, it's four. So whose dinner party do you want to go to? If she's pouring, it's two. Um, whose dinner party do you want to go to? Mine so I recommend having a bottle for every two guests with additional non-alcoholic options like water, tea. I mean, of course. And espresso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so glasses. Let's talk about glasses. When you've been out shopping for wine glasses or when you've been to a restaurant, you probably notice that they use different glasses, right? And this is because the shape of the glass actually will influence how the aromas of the wine open up and can enhance your tasting experience. While this is important at wineries and high-end restaurants for tasting purposes, it may not be as important to you when you're entertaining a bunch of fools at your house, some of whom may or may not be questionable or understand wine. So... Don't break the bank. Don't yeah. get buy an entire line of fancy-ass fucking Ikea glasses. Ikea has some great wine glasses. Get what Crate we, and Barrel yeah. has some great, like, lower-priced like lower price wine glasses that look really pretty. So those glasses, too, will always be kind of listed as a standard wine glass. This standard option is often what equates to a tasting glass, which means it's going to have... It can oh. have rosé, white, red. Yeah, it's going to have yeah. a base that's wide enough to release those aromatics but not so wide that it's really particular to like a Bordeaux or a Pinot or something like that. So get yourself some standard wine glasses and do what you got to do. Do it. Um, storing. Wine should be stored in a cool place out of direct sunlight to prevent damage and oxidation. This is very, very important. I cannot emphasize this enough. But this is also only... So don't leave it in your car. Don't leave it in your car. Don't leave it in direct sunlight. Don't, you know... Take take care of your babies. Take care of your yeah, babies. Whatever money you spend, it's still like be thinking about like you want to make sure that you are storing your wine in the right. Well, place. and and there are so many options now too. So like for example, you can find whites, rosés, and reds in cans, and they're good options. Yep. Maker Wine is boxes. an excellent place. You can find them in boxes. You can yep. find them in bags. And so if you, let's say you have a bunch of people who are white wine drinkers, but maybe one or two who are red, get something that you can reseal and keep in the yep. fridge so it doesn't go bad. So speaking of which, um, once you open a wine, it can be stored in the fridge for a couple of ta- days, but we highly recommend that you invest in some high-end vacuum quality wine stoppers. You don't have to go batch it and get a Corvain or anything like that. Just get, you know, something that you can... Sort of pump the air Use out your 20% of, off Bed Bath Beyond coupon. Yep. Are they still go, in business? Yeah. Shit, I don't know. And you still get the coupons. Go there. Get your little, like, vacuum pumper. But I will also say, white and rosé, you can store for a lot longer than you can a red. Yeah. Red is maybe a couple days in the fridge. And then if it's not a chillable red, like if it's, like, a... Vinegar. You know, a regular red. Like, you want to bring it out of the fridge before you're going going to drink it again. Like, it's going to be a little bit better, especially this time of year. It's not hot out. Like, it's fine. Um, But whites and rosés will hold up a lot better. At least a week. I've kept a rosé in the fridge for, like, a week. I know it's shocking that it even lasts that long. I was like, I don't believe you. Usually because if I open a rosé, like, on the weekend, then during the week I'm not drinking, like, during the day. See, I open up on like a Sunday fun day. I guess she's like, I'll only drink rosé during the day. No, it's not even that. But like usually by the t- at this time of the year at night. I was like, you don't want a glass of rosé when I'm it's not, dark at 4.30? No. I want a fucking cab. Like I actually want something. I'm like, I should probably eat something before I do this. But like it feels like that. But anyway, yeah, well, so. you know. Whites and rosés, you can 
hold on to for a little bit longer. Okay, so let's talk serving. Sparkling. Cold. Cold. You like want it cold. From the freezer cold. Like, and also, don't be an idiot. Get an ice bucket. Oh. Get, this is my, yes. this is perhaps my biggest pet peeve or right now. Or make sure you put it back in the fridge. Like, do, like restaurants or places that bring out a bottle of sparkling don't give you an ice bucket. Or and, take 15 minutes to give you an ice bucket. I'm like, well, great. Now that's come up Right. So keep it cold. Invest in an ice bucket. Keep it in your pants, people. White wines. While it depends on the varietal, you don't want your winter whites to be ice cold like you would a sparkling. This makes the aroma and the flavor of the wine, or sorry, keeping it super cold masks the aroma and the flavor of the wine. So you want to serve these just below cellar temp, somewhere between 45 and 55 degrees. A good quick trick is that the darker the wine, the higher the temp can be. So if you're Midwesterners, you can just leave your shit outside. There you go. But so to this point, though, like, if you're here. if you're drinking a crisper white, like, a Sauv Blanc, a Pinot Grigio, a Sorello, something of that nature. You want those to be closer to that 45 degree range. If you're drinking a richer Chardonnay, a Marsan, a Roussan, um, a wine that's had a white wine that's had some skin contact, you want to bring that up a little bit closer to 50 or e 55 or even like 58 degrees because it's really going to capture the texture of that wine. Next is rosé. So I personally tend to like rosés on the colder side. Yes. But again, I will say that the rule of thumb is the darker the wine, the less the chill, the less of the chill that you need to have on that wine. So if you have a particularly dark rosé, so like there's a lot of rosés coming out of Spain that are Tempranillo based that have that darker rosy color, those I would serve towards the higher end Again, in that 55 to 59 degree range. Also, like, what is the temperature outside? So for us here in San Diego, we've Good been point. having Santa Ana's where it's like 80 degrees during the day. Like, I want that rosé to be chilly because it's, again, because yeah. I'm drinking it earlier in the day. But if you are in Chicago, cheers to our Chicago listeners. Um, where it's frigid it's AF really, right now. it's yeah. starting to get really cold. Like, you may not, like... A really cold glass of wine may not sound that appealing. Right. And there's so. actually, so there's a great app that my friend, um, who's one of the managers at the tasting room at Peach Canyon, Paso Robles, shout out to you, August. Um, Hi, August. He told me about this amazing app, and I need to get the information from him more, but he uses it all the time, and it's it'll tell you, like, what wines are pouring well that day. Based on your temperature, where you're at, I love that. the barometer, like, and it's true. Like some days, you know, we talk about it as like intuition, where it's like, oh, I just don't, you know, I feel like this today or I feel like that today, but there's a reason you feel like that. Like, I don't want to drink a fucking cab when it's 80 degrees at 8 p.m. in the middle of the summer. Like, I just do not. Yeah. That sounds horrid to me. Um, so, you know, think about like where you are and what it's going to yield. And then finally for reds. Um, since we've been talking about them a little bit, cellar temp. And here's what I'm going to say about serving your red wines. No one likes a hot wine. Oh, Jesus. No, no one. No one. So. Say it, you, say it again. No, no one. Who? No one. So if you 
live somewhere <laughs> where it's not between 55 and 62, which is ideal Outside temperature, cellar or, temperature yeah. range, drop that shit down. Drop that shit Put down. it outside. Now, you don't have to have a fun, uh, fucking fancy-ass wine fridge. Put it in the freezer for, for 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah. Put Done. it in the fridge for an hour. Fine. Yeah. You're good. But do not serve a hot red wine. Especially I will come because for let's you. be honest, if you're hosting like a holiday dinner, it's probably gonna be warm in your house. Like people are there, you've got the oven on, there's all these other things, right? People so. are gonna start acting real weird real fast if you're serving hot wine. It's called mold wine. <laughs> and I do love a mold wine. That's a whole different story. That's a diff that's a different thing. I'm talking about hot wine, not mold wine. <laughs> okay. So, if you want to learn more, if you feel like you did not get enough information out of this podcast. <laughs> or about you, turkeys. <laughs> you, you can check out some of our favorite wine resources, which are Wine Folly. There's books. There's a website. They have social media. There's wine magazines like Wine Enthusiast and Wine Spectator, both of which I think have like ratings for um, wines. So, and buying um, guides. But take take all of the buying guides with a grain of salt when it comes to the top lists because wineries pay money to be in there. Well, like that's how that good works. Good information or. can be found in these, but it's also, you know, back to this idea that like drink what you like to drink. Try a bunch of different stuff and figure out what you like. Don't worry about what the quote unquote experts say. Because that's not what it's about. Figure out what works for you. And what works for the group that and you're serving, obviously, too. and what works for your budget. Like, that's yep. a huge consideration. So, uh, sometimes a lot of these, like, bigger-named wine directories are kind of pushing stuff that you're like, well, I can't fucking afford that. Like, what is that? So, the more... The more you know... Reading The more rainbow. educated you are about, like, what to look for, the better decisions you can make. And there's... Tons of really good wine out there that does not cost $75 a bottle. Right. And two great ways to figure that out is look at your local AVA and winery websites. And so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of buying local, drinking local. Um, but that's only good for those of us that live in like wine Girl, wine areas. be be growing all over this country Yeah, but now. let's be honest. I think there are some diamonds. People in, the in rough. Illinois don't need to be drinking the wine. I think there are some diamonds in the rough there. We just haven't found Arizona them apparently has some. Right. See? New Mexico's listen. got the one. They have bubbles. More than one. No, that's like the one that's good. Well, that's the one we know about. Again, going. So, but do. So, like, if you know that you like wines from Napa or you know that you like wines from Santa Barbara, check out their AVA websites. They all have them. There are wealth of information that can connect you with the wineries that may interest you and other buying options. The other thing I highly recommend is mosey on down to your local bodega. Go to your local wine shop. Talk to people. Learn about what's pouring well. Learn about various options in your price point. Learn about pairing ideas. And if you don't have a local wine shop, go to... Your favorite bar. If there's a wine yep. bar in your neighborhood, talk to the bartender. Talk to the wine buyer. Like, talk to someone that, like, understands, like, why they bought the wine that they bought. Like, how they select their wine list. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I, and I will say that that is something that I'm really bad at. 
Oh, see, I'm like asking all the shit all the time. I have all the questions on the tour. I sometimes I'm shy about like asking the questions and and sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's just generally speaking in life. I tend to do that. Like I I like to sort of like figure stuff out on my own. Um, So I encourage you. I challenge you and myself to do that. New Year's resolution, maybe. Ooh, look at that. Look at us. There's an episode. Um, but we'd also love to hear about what you're drinking, what you're pouring, and if you want specific recommendations for your holiday meals. So you know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Two Girls in a Great Pod. That's T W O Girls in Great Pod. Slide into those DMs. Ask us your questions. We've and, had people do that. Shout yep. out to Kendra. Hi, Kendra. That's like, how this wine learning series was about. Born. Yeah. You know, just like. I'm hosting a holiday, you know, dinner and here's what I'm making. What should we do? What can I do? Like, do you guys have ideas? We are super happy to do that for you. So (laughs) she's better at it than I am. (laughs) And if you've enjoyed our recommendations and this episode, don't forget to click follow and give us that five star rating. Thumbs up. And our next episode, because remember, we tis the season for tis our holiday art, we will feature our annual Two Girls in a Grape holiday gift guide. So get your wallets ready, everybody. And until then. No. Wait, what? Follow us on Instagram. I did. I did that oh, already. Did you say that? Yeah, that was. Oh, you went, out of, oh you, you went out of order. No turkey for you. Oh. <laughs> turkey I, for me. <laughs> turkey <laughs> for you. You know what? On that note, (laughs) she can't. Salute. Cheers. (laughs) Testing the microphone. Testing. Testies. Testies. Testicles.